Hi everybody, it's Larry Quicksall, and time for another episode of Restoring the Farmstead. Today is Sunday, July 26th, 2015, and I am reporting on weekend and week activities up here as we try to keep moving forward for short, with short-term and eventual long-term plans. Oh, well, I was hoping on still being up at the farm this evening, but I think we have an incredible crop of mosquitoes, and it doesn't matter where you're at, you are just engulfed with them. So I am on my way home, and I'm recording my podcast at this time. Uh, and I'm scratching my back because I don't know how many bites I wound up getting there. <laughs> oh, let's see. I guess um, we can say the the week has been filled with bees and goats. That's what the, since the last podcast has been, we have made arrangements with a gentleman uh, from, I think, around the Salem area to purchase a buck from him, a pygmy buck. And we were hoping on making contact on Saturday, but it didn't quite work out. So we are, we're hoping that we'll be able to touch base with him tomorrow. Maybe he just had a busy weekend. But in the meantime, what we were needing to do was to get a pen prepared for the buck because we don't want to stick the bucks in with the does and wind up with babies in the, you know, the dead of winter. So we had, um, last weekend, I um, took the trailer that we used for the pontoon boat and I dropped the pontoon boat out in the grass up here at the farm and then took the trailer and used that to haul a bunch of uh, hog panels that are 16 foot long and we use six of those to construct a, a pen for the billy since they like uh, uh, getting a little bit more aggressive in the pen and regular woven wire usually doesn't suffice so we'll hopefully have some good luck with this but we've got the pen all set up and wired uh, we'll probably have to make adjustments after he gets in there and he finds out where he can push here and there and yonder in order to try to get out uh, so we needed still a little shed for the billy and then we also have uh, our goat phantom who's a wither and that's going to be the billy's companion in there so he's not there by himself uh, the thing that I've heard over and over again is every bad story about goats starts with we had this one goat and that's the problem you can't have just one goat they are herd animals so this week I was coming up with some different plans to have a, a small shed in there. It doesn't have to hold a lot of goats, uh, just two basically. So uh, Saturday morning I gathered up materials and started building on it and ran out of, of screws that I needed. Uh, and I was hoping on continuing today, but with the mosquitoes, it just wasn't working. But basically, it's going to be similar to the other goat shed. However, it's going to have, it's just going to be four foot by four foot by four foot, but I'm extending off the front uh, a four by four foot uh, overhang so that if there's uh, rain, they can stand underneath that. And, it, um, and they don't have to just sit inside the shed. So we'll see how that kind of a design works. But uh, so that's kind of where we're at there. 
we did try, and I believe I've already uploaded the uh, goat picture or the goat video of when we put Queenie in with the other uh, full-grown goats, and they had a major headbutting competition. Uh, it was it was bad. I wound up breaking it up because I'm sitting here thinking somebody's going to get seriously hurt with these horns. Uh, but as we're doing research, that's just one of the goat, um, the, the traits of a goat. Uh, they use that to determine their pecking order, their hierarchy, their dominance. And you can interrupt them. You can try different things. But eventually, um, they're going to they're gonna settle the score their own way. I guess maybe a little bit. We could call it the goat mafia. So we, um, we've got another plan, though, on how we're going to try to do it. We swapped our goats around a little bit. And in the, the side of the pen where we had Queenie and the baby Lucy, we took them out and we put our three kind of bully goats. We put Scribbles and Phantom and uh, Rudy Toot Toot over there. And then we kept our two smaller goats, the ones that are easier to get along with, Princess and Duchess, who were just born back in January, we put them in with Queenie and Little Lily. Um, and what I have seen so far is Queenie, being the taller one, has definitely established her dominance this evening. Uh, and uh, she will uh, push the others around. But again, that just seems to be how the goats are. Again, it looks like uh, poor Duchess is always going to wind up with the, the short end of the stick. But at least we're, we, uh, we don't have to really worry too much uh, about uh, Lucy at this time. I did see where Princess was butting at her a little. Uh, but, uh, but she's just so quick and scampering and romping around and jumping here and there, just like a little baby goat, that I'm not too worried about her at this point. The, uh, the other three, uh, it looks like uh, Phantom is establishing a fair amount of dominance there, especially against Rudy, and was uh, pushing at Rudy any time Phantom got close to Rudy. So that's kind of where those three are. Um, then let's see, let's move on to bees. Well, uh, the main thing that I was thinking I was going to be doing is getting the bees moved into what's going to be the new permanent setting and uh, in preparation for when winter comes, because you really can't start too soon on that. And I'm not wanting to have them on the south side of the chicken house. I still have those there. I have not been able to get around to moving them. Uh, I don't always have an extra pair of hands, and these are heavy hives. Uh, which is good. That means they're loaded with honey. So I figured that would be the only thing I would be doing is setting up, you know, the permanent area uh, for having them. However, I uh, uh, I had a hive extraction that has actually been way on the back burner uh, since uh, the end of May, first part of June. There is an old house in Shumway, Illinois. And it's an interesting house with a history. It's, it's very old and is very well built. Uh, and it has a, a hive that's been in there for several years. So whenever uh, uh, this, the fellow who owns it, he was wanting to uh, 
uh, get rid of the house because it's very old, dilapidated, uh, which also ties in with the history. Let me tell you a little bit about it. This house, uh, from what I understand, there were two sisters that never married and they lived in the house together. And then their brother, and I'm not sure if he was a widower or if he divorced, which, you know, wasn't too common in the old days. Uh, but they, uh, they, the three of them wound up living together there in the house, these siblings. And they, this house, when the telephone system first went in, their house was the switchboard for all the houses in Shumway and the immediate surrounding area. Then they had a line that went to Beecher City, which is, I'm not sure how many miles away, 10 miles away probably. And uh, it's maybe a little bit further, but the line would go down there to another switchboard. So they had the switchboard in their house. And if you called, this would have been back at the time when you used a crank phone and you, he, you had a ring that was similar to Morse code. You know, like three shorts and a long or two shorts and two longs. And that would be your ring on your line. And all the different lines that went on different streets or out and following different roads in the country fed into their house. And then they would, if you called, they would answer it and they would uh, patch you through to the other line, ring up the other person's uh, uh, house for you and then connect you. So that took place in this house. Apparently in latter years though, one sister and the brother died and it was just the the one remaining sibling and she uh, from what I understand uh, was a bit of a hoarder and so the the gentleman after her death who purchased the property uh, said the house was filled with everything and just paths going through so he's been cleaning out various things taking it to auctions and it's pretty well cleaned out except for the bees so on Friday, uh, or actually Thursday night, I put out a Facebook call to any of my friends, whether they were bee friends or whether they were just uh, people who were, would be interested in going on a little bit of an adventure and would join me to help take out this hive from the house. So two of my friends, uh, Amy Kingery and her husband Michael, they... Uh, uh, Amy and I, we were in high school together, and they uh, they decided to take me up on the offer. So Friday after work, the three of us went out there. I had extra bee suits, got them all suited up, uh, and we had a little bit of gathering of different friends and neighbors in Shumway that came by to watch. But it was it was quite an operation. The uh, the beehive, uh, we had to take off the weatherboarding, then we had to cut through. Uh, some very heavy, I'm thinking, oak uh, rough-cut planks that were about an inch thick that were diagonal underneath the weatherboarding to give extra strength to the house. And when I sawed through those, there was I could see the 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 floor or the space between the ceiling of the first floor and the the floor of the the second story, and it was about an eight-inch to 10-inch area. And between two floor joists going back in uh, uh, deep into the house is where the hive was. And I reached in after vacuuming quite a few bees. I started going in and cutting out honeycomb. And I 
used a knife and got as far back as my arm could reach and there was still honeycomb after that. So it was it was quite a hive. Um, didn't really want to tear into floors upstairs to try to get to it. You know, hey, so be it. So that was Friday night. We got a lot of, of honey. I still have it in a tub in the back of my truck and I'm going to hand crush it in the evenings this week, uh, possibly in the mornings to, uh, to get the honey out. Uh, then I, my wife on Saturday told me that there was uh, some other pictures of the, the beehive there at the house from this morning or from that morning, the night at, or the day after we did the extraction. And all the other bees had that were way back into the house seemed to be moving forward and they were hanging and draping over the entrance and you couldn't really see in. So I went back with my bee vacuum, sucked up all those, and then I headed off to rural Montrose. And I had received a phone call from a fella that had a bee swarm that came out of a, a bee tree on his property and uh, that was about two years ago uh, last month and then he called again and he had another swarm but it was on a fence post right by his cattle gate and he needed to get that swarm gone now I was thinking okay a swarm in July isn't a very good swarm usually what they're doing is they're getting rid of an old queen doesn't have a lot of pheromone left doesn't have a lot of egg production left uh, so I was saying, how big is this swarm? And I wasn't getting good, clear answers. Uh, but I thought, well, you know, they were so nice to call me for a swarm two years ago. It's in a, you know, an awkward place for them. So tell you what, I'll just go over there and, and we'll, uh, we'll take care of it and, and keep them happy. They were some pretty nice people. So I left, left from Shumway. I picked up my wife, Dawn, and we headed over. And it was a good size swarm. It was pretty big. And I just added those bees to the ones that I had from the house in Shumway. Now the bees that I had before, I put them, uh, I don't, I didn't think I had a queen because of, you know, just the nature of how the cutout went. So I added them to a small swarm uh, that we had gotten recently. I'm trying to think where, oh, that was the one from over by Lilyville. Uh, where it was on the clothesline pole. I think I probably mentioned about that in the last podcast. So I just added those in with them just to give them some more bees to, to do some, some uh, collection of nectar and, and such to help them with their numbers to build up their hive. So this one I was going to put into uh, a full-size hive box because the, my vacuum box felt pretty heavy uh, and it looked like it was a pretty big bunch of bees, big swarm uh, filling up the box. So when I dump them into a regular 10 frame box instead of a 5 frame nuke box, they were just stuffed. So I wound up sticking another 10 frame on top of that. Now my bottom 10 frame, it had, I had all drawn comb in there. And then the top box, I just had uh, foundation, fresh foundation, hadn't been used before. So I've got them set up, uh, and hopefully they'll, they'll be happy and satisfied. I didn't stick any sugar water out because we were running really late on time, uh, and I didn't get around to that today, so I'm going to need to get some sugar water out there for them to give them a, a helping start. 
So that was kind of an interesting thing, seeing that uh, uh, a very good-sized swarm this late in July. It ties in with the old saying as far as uh, a swarm in May is worth a load of hay, a swarm in June is worth a silver spoon, a swarm in July isn't worth a fly because they just it's usually a bad queen. But this one, there was enough... There were enough bees there. I think she's a, a good queen. They just had a... We've had kind of a goofy year. So let's see. I've talked about goats. You're probably tired about the goats, but we'll, we'll keep talking about them because they're, they're getting a lot of attention right now. And now we got bees. And uh, I was hoping on actually getting uh, those two from the front of the house. That's where I've got them right now. Get them moved out. But sunlight was just going down too fast. And so then the third thing is going to be corn. Uh, we had so much rain this year, it's really done a number on the corn. The, uh, uh, a lot of water was standing in the fields, so uh, the, the corn, some of it was stunted uh, and very yellow not able to you know get to the nitrogen or it leach the nitrogen further down in the soil beyond their roots and then also with all the the water on the surface the roots uh, the root structure just didn't develop the way that it needs to so I've been worrying about my corn down in the bottom uh, the road's been too wet that I couldn't even get down there with my four-wheel drive truck but we've had a let up in the rain recently, a little bit more like July weather, and I was able to drive all the way to the back. And there's some areas where you can tell it's, it's not a consistent height. Now there's one area up near the front where there was just so much water standing, there's corn that's not even knee high, where everything else is, is looking good and there's, there's ears coming out. Some of the ears aren't very filled out yet. I'm hoping that they will fill out more. Uh, there were some, some ears that are pretty nice. I did pull one off and, and open it up. Uh, it's not as big as what I would like for it to be. It still has some filling out to do. But boy, this one here, I'm, I'm at a stoplight right now, so I'm looking at it. Nice straight rows. It looks really good. Uh, it's still in the milk stage, of course. But I'd like for the ears to really be a good bit larger than that. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it turns out. I just uh, hope that, it's, that we do have a, a good profit off of the corn so that I have working capital uh, uh, for both this year and for next year. So, got to take a look at the corn. Uh, I also have a picture showing the the roots you should have these anchor roots coming down and and holding the corn in place against the wind and they're just not hardly developed not from what i always remembered uh the corn plants looking like so we'll see it's it's going to be a a different year for that so i guess those are the the big things that have happened over the weekend uh, this next week, uh, hopefully, we'll I'll be able to get the goat shed done. Uh, like I said, uh, the mosquitoes drove me out of the machine shed. They were just all over me. So I'm hoping to get, uh, get some work done uh, yet this week and get it completed. 
and painted and ready for whenever we get the billy goat. And hopefully that'll be this week as well. So I guess I'm going to pose a question to those of you who have been listening to this podcast. Do you live on a farmstead? Is there a, uh, a history? Is there a story behind the farmstead where you live? Is it one that you're trying to restore yourself? Uh, maybe it was an old traditional farmstead, but over the years it's just turned into a house with a little garden and the uh, maybe some old outbuildings that you know aren't used for anything but just storage anymore. Are you thinking about restoring that? Are you thinking about creating your own farmstead? If so, go out to my Facebook site at Restoring the Farmstead uh, and uh, leave me a comment. Leave me what you are doing. Uh, if you've got a great story that goes with it, I'd love to talk to you sometime. So maybe we can make connection and uh, I can figure out how to do a, a radio interview because I would love to hear uh, your stories. This podcast, while it started out as a bit of a documentary, I guess you could say a docu-cast, uh, of my family's efforts at restoring the, the farmstead, I would love to hear your story as well. So go out to Facebook. You can check out the pictures. If you want to see how how rough goats can butt heads, check out what uh, Queenie and Scribbles were doing. Uh, and then uh, see some of the bee photos and the corn photos. And uh, we'll catch you next time. So until then, take care and God bless.